This week, we're doing Tales from the Table. We're talking armor class and floating AC. Welcome to We Speak Common. Hello and welcome to another episode of We Speak Common, brought to you in association with the Dice Dungeon UK, where you can get yourself some really nice uh, metal and now resin dice. And they've got something special coming up in a few weeks' time, which we'll be talking about a little bit later on. First, though, Joe, how are you doing? I am doing very well, Ben. I, I enjoyed that little blooper we had just then. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to leave that the in. the actual start of the podcast. Um, I'm, I'm going to get rid of that. <laughs> I mean, I think you should put it in at the end, maybe, as like oh, a little... Really? I mean, I know that's a lot of, that's work for you, but sort of I've said it now, and it's going to be very difficult to edit this out, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, All right, I'm fine. I'm committed now, unfortunately. I'll, I'll put it at the end. I'll, I'll do it after, after the outro and, and everything, <laughs> right at the very end, a little, a little surprise for anyone that makes it all the way through. That's real dedicated listeners, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How are you though? How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, no, I'm all right, mate. You know, not too bad. Uh, pretty good actually, to be fair. Ran me old D and D game, didn't I? Not too long ago. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was exciting. Because, uh, well, I mean, we have numerous games going at any one time here for some reason. Yeah, um, yeah, and. And uh, mine just didn't get run for a while, mostly just because I really didn't have... I haven't... past few months, Ben, have been a little bit stressful, not going to lie. Um, yeah, and yeah. And I just didn't have time for it. But I have some time now, so I managed to plan a session and run it. I feel like it went pretty well. I suppose we'll get into that in a minute. But other than that, I'm doing pretty well. I mean, how are you, Benjamin, in yourself? I am... Uh, I'm all over the place, mate. Um... <laughs> it's stressful stressful time no change Um, then no change at all i had uh mate i had a an awful day on friday i had three rejection phone calls for jobs in one day and that was like oh that's nice bloody hell lovely just just pile it all on top it's fine it doesn't matter however um i am i'm feeling really good about one of them um i'm gonna call back monday so um, hopefully it'll all, I mean, everything happens for a reason and all that. So yeah, I had a, had a really, really crap day on, on Friday, but other than that, I've been okay. You know, just sort of riding the waves of the, the buyout life. It's literally that all is, I've been doing. That is, I mean, yeah, I mean, that sounds depressing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. There's a certain degree of, um, depressingness. In, I mean, I had a somewhat similar, uh, basically thing where I had a while ago, like a year ago or whatever, I passed like a really, really difficult aptitude test mm. uh, and I like scraped by on the mark. Um, but because things took so long to get where they are, basically it's expired and I've just been told I've got to do it again. So oh, mate. that's uh, brilliant. So I'll be doing that in a couple of weeks. Great, great. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Uh, All right. Well, keep us updated. So I guess really our lives are in tatters at the moment. Um, Mate. I suppose it's we'll, not really different for anyone else really, is it? No. I mean, we'll we'll work out why at some point. It's, it's something will happen and we'll look <laughs> back and we'll like, oh, that's why it was really shit for like five months. <laughs> <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. 
Yeah. Does it though? Does it though? <sighs> Mate, I, I, it's the only thing that keeps me going right now. <laughs> it's really not as bad as I make it out to be. It's just so bad because like we we found out we were bought oh, nearly two years ago. You know, so I've been living this life for like two years now, and I'm just bored. I just want it to change. I I don't care if I lose my job and whatever. Like I don't care. I just want it to. I want to go into something new now. I want the the theme of life to change. You need finality. Yeah, exactly. Conclusion. Closure. This arc. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I I mean I feel similarly about our D and D games in a way, Ben. What you so want them all to end? Segue there. Well. No, but I do want closure to some uh, arcs, specifically uh, in Dragon High Spent. Is I want, I just want the stone of Galorben. I want to hold it in my hand. Okay, do we about do, it. do we want to talk about Dragon Heist before we jump into your game? Because I feel like that's where we're let's, going. Let's do it. Let, okay. Let's do it, Ben. Let's do it. Because so, uh, let me let me do a little bit of go- setup then. So. For those of you that have not played Dragon Heist, no, I mean, it's not massive spoilers. Party looking for a stone that will lead them to the vault of Dagon Neverember, where there will be lots and lots and lots of gold. Now, I mean, originally this is a one to five adventure. We're playing it five to, I think we're going to end about eight. Um, and we've been playing it for a long time. We've extended it. I, there's every villain. I've done a lot of, lot of my own stuff in it. It's been good fun. And the party... Uh, uh, what two sessions ago? You you properly met Jalaxel Banray, the the famous Drow swashbuckler. Something like that. Yeah, mm. we bumped into him. Yeah, uh, and it, and I think he made a good impression. I mean, he's popped up a couple of times, and he now has invited you guys to dinner on his ship, the Eye Catcher. Which I thought going into last week's session, that's what was going to happen. I was like, okay, this session I'll prep the the dinner I'll, I'll make sure i know all of jalaxel's motivations and his wants and his hates and all of that and i'll make sure i know all of the boats and and you know and and, and the what ifs you know what if they burn down a boat what if they steal his submarine you know all of the random stuff that you might do as players and then you didn't do it <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope 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 see what was going to happen and I, i'm not afraid to tell you this because you've kind of worked it out anyway is you were going to go to dinner with jalaxel and he was going to say Hey, work for me. I will give you a cut of the money if you go and help me get the stone. And if you said no, he was going to be like, well, my team is outside the location of the stone right now, so I'm going to send them in either with or without you. But last session, you actually ended up finding, by pure chance, that team of drow waiting to go in to get the stone and went, oh, what's this? Went in, killed a load of them, kidnapped one, questioned him and found out the whole plan. We're geniuses, I mean, is all I can really say on that front. Honestly, I'm a little bit disappointed I didn't get to do the whole Jarlaxle propositioning you and you being stuck between a rock and a hard place, but I'm actually so proud of you. <laughs> it's really exciting that, that, you, that this has happened. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, the thing, the thing is, Ben, I'm, uh, I've got a lot of trust issues when it comes to you and, and your DMing. Thank you. Um, but I feel like this has really cemented that feeling when basically... All last session, you were going, but is Jarlaxle evil? Is he a nice guy? You know, maybe he just wants good. And I'm like, man, stop, stop bullshitting me, okay? Wait, so you stop, stop the lies and the deceit. You telling me? Because I just, you really think he's evil now? 
I think he's a bad guy. Well, I I just feel like you're you're trying to sell me. You're trying to you're trying to send me down the river, Ben, on this idea that he's a nice guy. He's not a nice guy, Ben. Drow aren't nice people. Okay, well that's racist. Okay, okay. look, Ben. I'm me being a wood elf myself, Ben. I know drow. All right, <laughs> I've met a lot of drow. They're not nice people. You have a lot okay? of drow friends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why do dear. our D games mirror reality unintentionally why does that happen all the time and it's, ne- and it's never like nice reality no it? it's, it's never uh... in a good way there was a bloody virus in Waterdeep when corona hit the hit the fan like yeah, why it... does it keep happening um oh, i don't know ah, uh, and it takes well... life no what i would say though is i am looking forward to you guys because i think your plan right now is to go and get the stone and then go and go to the dinner but with all the cards in your hand right well, probably, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It could go a few different ways. I really, I mean, the thing is, we don't actually know who has the stone. No. We know where it is. Mm. But, so, there's that factor at play. I mean, that may change things if we end up actually do knowing the person who ha- has the stone now, mm-hmm. or we understand why they have it, etc. Maybe they have a very compelling argument. We don't really know. Uh, because I feel like in this thing, there's going to be some really bad people who want it. Uh, and then some people who actually need it for like, to do some good for a specific reason, uh, and then some people kind of in the middle. I feel like Jarl Axel's probably in the middle. So Jarl Axel, probably... I think um, he's a bit of an anti-hero in my eyes because he, he yeah. you know, he does he does things to get things. Like he he will he will stab people in the back, and you know he runs a mercenary group who quite literally in in historical lore what sense have switched sides of battle because more money has been offered you know like he is that kind of person but this is what i'm saying yeah i think yeah i think he probably does have a compelling reason yeah uh if you sympathize with him personally i feel like it's probably something quite personal to him i think you guys are gonna go in thinking that he's like i want the money because xyz when actually it's more like abc and it's more like i want the money for this reason and it's not inherently like the reason he wants the money isn't bad. What he might do to get that is a little bit questionable. Well, this is, well, this is it, yeah. Um, and then, so I feel like there's people like there's people who are just legitimately evil mm-hmm. that want it, like Xanatha. Like Xanatha doesn't even need the money. No. He's got, he he has money, but it, it's more of like a a control thing for him. Absolutely. Uh, and then and then you've got people who are. I mean, depending on your view, uh, your viewpoint, probably pretty evil, uh, like the old uh, devil dealers. The Castellanters. Um yeah. yeah. But, like, I... I, but I mean, my, but the problem is, Ben, I'm playing kind of an asshole character, <laughs> so he, he doesn't really want to give the money to anyone. Yeah. You know, he, he, his viewpoint is, look, I'm risking it all for the biscuit. I don't want to give the biscuit away. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't want that. So I can uh, I can sympathise with that in a way. So it will all depend what happens. I think yeah, we probably will hear Jarl Axel out with with saying, look, we have all the stones. We you you can torture us all. It's not going to matter. Well, we're not going to give you it or tell you where it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might even do something tricksy where maybe like only one of us actually knows where it is, sort of thing. Yeah, just to keep the the uh, the info secret. It's a good plan. And. And then see what he can offer in return because I'm gonna I'm presuming, I don't know, but I'm presuming that you I mean getting the stone is step one, but then getting the money is actually quite a lot harder. 
will probably need someone to help with that. Well, I mean, you now know that the stone is not a stone. An ab- it's an aboleth. Uh, it's an aboleth, uh, yeah. Uh, which is, it causes problems in itself, yeah, really. Yeah, it does. Uh, aboleths, they sort of, they, you know, they mess with your brain a little bit. So that's, I think once we have the stone, that'll be where it goes. But I could see, it depends who's, like I say, who's got it right now. If they have a compelling argument, I presume maybe they've made some progress on trying to find the money. If they've had they've had the stone a little while, you know, well, a few days you, or whatever, you'll have to find out. But what what I would say is that it uh, it's got to the point now. Like I feel like we're really building up, we're ramping up the tension. We're going up to that climactic point now. And I, at every session, I'm really. I mean, I'm always excited to run a game because I always want to want to play. But I'm really excited every week now because you can have so many realizations every session now like there's always going to be something happening and that's that's a lot of fun for me um and i think this session today um there could be i mean it could go a number of ways and even when i was writing out my dm document you know months ago when i was planning and rewriting this section of the story i i had an idea of how i thought it would go and it and it's looking so different to that now in the actual play um so there's 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 a lot of things that you could work out at any which corner, and I and I'm loving watching you guys pin the pieces together. Mm. How far do you think we are through the actual written book? Um. Okay. So in the actual book, you're in chapter three. You're about halfway through. Um. Bear in mind that there's a whole chapter that I put in the shredder and got rid of. Um. Mm which because the way it's written doesn't give you much agency there's meant to be this whole like chase scene in the story but the way it's written like there's no way of you actually stopping them until the very end and things like that it's just not very good so um i've taken that out um which i kind of can't remember if that's if that's its own chapter or if that's like part of the end of chapter three or start of chapter four but then chapter four is all about the vault but um Mm. so i think you are probably well, put it this way: I've started reading Tomb of Annihilation and making my DM doc prep for that. So, interesting. And I, interesting. I think, I see. It's hard to put a number on it session-wise because you guys have a lot going on in your own personal lives as characters as well that you want to do. And James even said to me the other day, privately, he's like, "Oh, when we finish the story, quote unquote." Like, I don't want to just dive into the next story straight away. There's some bits I want to do, and I was like, "Don't worry, there will be a session or two in between." To not only make it feel natural and get the pacing right, but also to give you some abilities to tie up some mm. new sense that you have. Um, and obviously, James and I are going to be doing some duo DM stuff in the background. But I reckon you're probably somewhere between five and nine sessions away. Interesting. Are you? Uh, I mean, do you do you suspect we'll be jumping into Tomb then at like level eight? Um, you're going to have the option because um, basically, we don't want James and I don't want to force you guys to leave your characters that you have now but we want to give you the option if you want to to freshen things up so well he, the thing is i know i know cowry as a character is going to have very little interest in the tomb of annihilation you say so I probably, that i probably i know i know he, he'll probably be wealth and things there mm-hmm. but like he he i think um i will probably retire him after highs just because I, I like in my head as well i don't really want him to leave the city okay so without giving anything away there will be a reason for Kauri to be 
interested and, and very much so but that doesn't mean you have to play him. What we're going to do, there will be two storylines. When we get to the end of Tomb, this is going to branch off in one of two directions. And you will either take... So James will be running a game and I'll be running a game. That way, what we'll do in, in real life, talking about running sessions, is we'll alternate each week so that James and I can continue to play in games as well as run them. Um, it also means we eat through our backlog of stories a little bit. So you'll get the chance to take your character that you have now and go on to one storyline and then build a new character for the other one or retire your character and write up two new characters. Um, it just depends what you as a group want to do and you'll have to discuss it as a group because you know some of you will want to go one way some of you want to go another way but it'll be easier if it's like a whole new party or, or a hot... You know, can, do you see what I mean? Yeah, also like mechanically, I don't, I don't think there's just going to be... Like, there's not, not much incentive, I don't think, to... Hmm. take him any further than about what would be nice eight. is um i think if you if you want to get rid of cowry if you want to retire him we'll we'll retire him in the sense that you could bring him back at any point if you wanted to and he will be a, a quote-unquote npc in the story maybe left at the bar or something because there there will be a story reason for him to stick around as a, as a known character to the other players the well, thing is he he like his end goal other than Killing the Xanathan. Yeah. Uh, which I, don't, I, I doubt he's going to be able to do in the scope of Dragon Heist, uh, unless something very drastic happens. Uh, there are ways. He's, uh, yeah, but like he doesn't really have the support of the party to do that, and he can't really do it on his own. So no. he's... Uh, um, but then on top of that, his sort of main goal is to bring his brother to the city, mm. but he wants to be incredibly wealthy and set up before he does that. Mm. So, but I feel feel like if he does achieve that and get some a lot of money at the end of this, uh, when he does bring him, he's not going to then just be like, "Well, off, uh, off to the annihilation tomb, brother. I'll see you in a bit." Yeah, you know, yeah. he's uh, he, he's not going to do that. So, because how old is your um, brother canonically? He's like, what is he like thirteen? I think 14, yeah, I maybe? thought he was like eleven, twelve, thirteen, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, he can't exactly. Plus, he's also got another ward in Squidly, who's only like fourteen, who needs to look mm -hmm. after. Uh, so he's got these two kids and also a business to run. So it's yeah, there will he's be got a um, lot of ties. There will be as I, I will be happy for him to still be available as a point of contact for the current players. Yeah, for sure. And plus, it's, I it's know for two, really hard to tell you <laughs> why. I, I, I've had a character in mind for Tomb anyway, a wizard yeah. that I've wanted to play for Yonks. Um, and the only thing that's putting me off of him is I didn't, I just don't really like playing like level one wizards. But if we're starting at eight, like that's kind yeah. of perfect anyway. See, this is the thing. That, part of that's me, the really fun zone for the wizard. Part of me really wants to start Tomb at level one because there is that deadly sort of expedition side of it. Um, and part of me is like, do you know what? If you go in at level eight, there's a lot I can do. Like, you know, you'll there'll there'll be it'll be a different experience. Yeah, you can still go to the to Port Nainzaru and do all of the fun stuff that is like a challenge at level one. But for you, it would literally just be fun stuff. So that's fine. And when you're doing the expedition around the jungle, it just makes it more of a deadly kind of thing mission. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean you can still do it. I was like I was watching Critical Role the other day, and they had a lot of uh, sort of. Like in their current arc, they've got a few sort of survival y type elements going on. Mm. They're in like a bit of a jungle biome. And 
they're all high level. I think they're like they're 11, 11 now, now, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, I think they may even be 12. I am a couple episodes behind, so. I think they're 12. Um, but, yeah, you can. there are still ways you can make it challenging even when you do have lots of spells and things. Mm. Even if it's only challenging for in the moment, right? Mm. It doesn't have necessarily lasting consequences. The thing about Team as well is that it's there's a hex scroll portion to it. And um, I've still got to work out how I'm going to approach that. But there's lots of, um, there's lots of, not encounters, but like places you can visit. And it's kind of a bit like random, like, because it's down to you and the players and which way you go and what you bump into. So if you went in at level eight, I could, you know, manipulate that a bit and we could have a bit more fun with that stuff. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, the only thing, the only thing that doesn't make me want to play Wizards, I just feel like it's going to be very difficult to acquire new spells into um, just because it's not that that type of not necessarily there are realm. um there are without it being a spoiler there's a group of the red wizards of thay um on an exped- expedition to try and stop the soulmonger there's also so that you, so you will be bumping into wizards um and there's also uh a couple of liches as well actually i think that make an appearance oh well okay then that 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 excites me yeah and no, i definitely will play a wizard for that um what was James's one? That wasn't. Was that that we were going to do Storm Kings, but now we're not. Yeah, I haven't very... told you what we're doing. Okay, so there's something else going on there. Mm. So I mean, I feel like I kind of want to play a paladin just because. Oh, God's I, sake! I feel, like, I feel like I feel like I'm never going to get back to Galahad. I don't know if I'm ever going to play him again at this rate, yeah. just because that game that game seems dead. Which it, is, it is a little bit. Um, but you know, so I kind of just want to play another paladin. I just. But I might play something a bit funky, like a Warlock Paladin or a Paladin Sorcerer or maybe even a triple class I mean, look, combo. We've put a lot of thought into how this transition into these two storylines is going to go. And it's going to be, I think, personally, very satisfying for us as DMs, but also for you guys as players, because it's going to give you that kind of feeling of being those important players in the world and, and um, being called upon. And I think. It's, I mean, we might take like a two week break when, when, while you guys are deciding what you want to do, but it's, there's lots of options open to you. So don't, don't stress it too much. You can pretty much do whatever you want when we get to it. It's interesting. And I have not really played before, but I would, I'm I'm kind of interested in playing a true, true paladin, like a Mm, proper zealous knight, like zealous, like over the top, overplayed devotion paladin or you know something along those lines maybe mm-hmm. so that that could uh that could certainly be um interesting as well but it's, no it's exciting times for that game mm. um it's exciting times for your game because we've actually run it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i actually played it i mean i'm very excited for my game because how it's left now is all the introductory work like almost like the prologue of this arc it's kind of done now. Yeah, I feel that way. The, the, the pieces have been set. Uh, the, the players are in prime position now to have a lot of agency over the world and what happens next. And you've got a pretty much brief taste of all the key players, mm-hmm. or at least a lot of them. Not necessarily all of them, but quite a lot. And it really is like, okay, players, what do you want to do now? The, the true sandbox has... Gun in a sense, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's 
horrible to plan just <laughs> completely horrible You've... i did not realize the magnitude of planning this degree of openness mm-hmm. in a game and I, and obviously i've laid down like threads like i've given you like two or three threads that you can pull on if you want to have like some direction in what in ways you want to go right so like so basically there's you've got that priest you can talk to mm-hmm. so the cleric's going to be interested in that you've got you've got a person you want to find right mm-hmm. Um, a key player in sort of the, the the rebellion leader or what have you, and then you've got the overarching story that you're you're kind of afraid your dad may be assassinated. Yep. So, so you've got three things going on that you could investigate, but all but I tell you, man, there's so much, there's so much shit just happening at any given time, and it's not like this kind of open. If you want to like properly plan this, it's like it's like writing a whole setting book that also constantly updates after every session. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just uh, to be honest, it's actually impossible. You can't do it. So there's I think it's, it, like this is really testing my improv skills at the minute because as much as I plan, there's always stuff coming up for that I cannot preconceive. Yeah. And I think that's the problem with sandbox and people say like, "Oh, how do I run a sandbox game?" And I'm like, "Well, it, it's bloody difficult, so buckle yourself in." And I think that um I feel like we got a taste of it in at the start of your campaign right back in that big city i feel like we i felt like we had a taste of sandbox game um and Mm. walking into the session uh, last week i i felt as a as a player not as a character because my guy comes from this this area of the world but as a player i was like wow we're stepping into something that we've never seen before. And I think that's the kind of, I felt like that was the kind of theme that you were going for with the whole, I mean, whale sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. Was it, was it the floating sperm whale? The, the floating sperm whale did, did get me, but like, I don't know. There was something about your, um, delivery. So for, for, for listeners, we were, uh, it, it brought into this whole new area of the region, mine and James's, characters being characters from there but us as players not knowing what to expect um we had to go and witness this this religious ceremony and it and it and the the other two characters are like is this normal there's a lot of dead bodies what is, is this what you do and we were like mm, no because it for us it's not um no and i suppose like the inspirations for it like obviously the whole setting has a very norse theme to it yeah but but it goes beyond that into almost like gothic lovecraft horror it, yeah. at times as well yeah, so that's where that's where i'm going because i feel like there was a moment when we were sat well stood uh, on the podium we were watching this this ceremony go down and i was ben sitting here thinking god joe's gone deep joe's gone joe's committed <laughs> he's he's he don't care if he's, he's gone making, to a dark place like he it doesn't he doesn't matter if he's going to make us feel uncomfortable he's going there and it was kind of that, bear in mind that I'm coming from a studying drama background, it was kind of that um, Slavis, uh, what's his name? Slavis, uh, there's a name, a German name, a guy who, the theatre of like being uncomfortable um, and, and how that makes you feel. And it was it was like, God, if mate, if I was in drama class, I could write your whole ess- essay about how, <laughs> how well you used Stanislavski. Is that right? I could ask Phoebe. She's in the other room, but it's not that important. Um, <laughs> anyone who knows will, will know who I'm talking about. But the whole point of his theatre practice is to make you feel uncomfortable as an audience, and that makes you feel an emotion. And um, 
God, you, you, you nailed it because we're sitting there watching this bloody whale get gutted and our dad get drenched in whale blood. And I'm like, I don't like this. I don't, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting to hear you say it because, <clears throat> I mean, I've had that. And it's funny, it's funny you say like you, you, you had to go to the, um, like the, this religious ceremony mm. because originally when, when I planned the religious ceremony, it was with what I'm kind of calling like the old party before these, before the party split up and these new characters were introduced. Yeah. And that old party, when I was originally planning this, had a lot less reason to go to the ceremony. I knew it was a potential. I knew when you were going to arrive at Burdersign, this main city, it was going to be almost deserted and almost everyone was going to be at this ceremony. So I knew there was going to be quite a draw there to check out what was going on, and you may have gone. But I also knew that, that the old party was quite devious, mm. and I knew that if they saw this big empty city and they had, they had information they wanted to get, they may have just stayed there and tried to capitalise on the moment. Mm-hmm. In which case, lots of stuff could have happened. You could have got involved in uh, Eric's like rebellion attack that happened during the day there, yep. which in this case you only heard about later. There was, um, you could have met all sorts of different factions that were like, so I had all this other stuff. But then as soon as you rolled these new characters that happened to be very invested in the religion, uh, of the land then I thought okay it's much more likely you're probably actually going to go to the, the ceremony and when it, when I ended up coming up with the idea that tying your your dad and your whole um, like lineage into everything I knew that was basically going to solidify it and then for me when I was planning that scene I just had a few key images and emotions I wanted to evoke from it one that I came up with fairly late sort of you know in the final hour kind of thing was having basically Handon, the sort of big bad, although I, I won't call him a big bad, but the, for, for generalization terms, the big bad of the story, mm-hmm. um, giving this religious speech. Uh, and I almost wanted it to be like uh, a, like a Nazi propaganda speech, you know, yeah. like almost, almost Hitlerish in its delivery, but more, um, but with a much greater religious undertone, right? And a real feel of, manipulation of of people who who follow this stuff yeah yeah and and i wanted to feel very culty and whatnot because i feel like in this time (laughs) all these religions are kind of feel very culty you know by by today's modern standards Mm -hmm. so uh i wanted to capitalize on that and then i had this image of your dad and him performing the sacrifice to the whale and and sacrifices are not uncommon in this land it's quite a, a normal thing to do this time of year you sacrifice uh, a goat or whatever for good harvest or whatnot to the gods is and for these people like it may seem like ridiculous to us or even ridiculous to other people in this world who don't live in this region but to them this is this is real life this is their reality right the gods are as real as their mother their father that you know yeah their, their sons their daughters they are an absolute real powerful entity that has complete agency over their whole lives so they take it very seriously and yeah normally they'd sacrifice a goat or whatever sometimes they would sacrifice a person right under special circumstances but never like have you guys seen this like giant sperm whale that's been like that's basically been tortured all the way up here um as it's been dragged quite far from the ocean um and and then just gutted and then i had this vision of basically because I knew your dad was probably going to be in conflict with Handon just because of his ideals mm-hmm. and, and the ideals of your characters. And really, I, I, I framed 
the dad's ideals off after I got your characters because I thought you guys are going to be products of him, right? Yeah, absolutely. So depending on how you want to roleplay your characters sort of retroactively determines his beliefs and motivations and things, Mm. you know, because I wanted him to be quite a good father. I wanted you to be fairly aligned as a family. And so when that happened, I knew you were going to be in conflict with Handon straight away, Uh, especially he's because... You guys are almost like progressives in this crazy world. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and so um, in that case, and I really liked how that worked out because then I thought, okay, I can situate you, you in a part of the world where you have the most exposure to other cultures mm-hmm. compa- compared to everyone else who's very um, isolationist because you live on the border. You, It's difficult to continually be a a racist and an isolationist when other people from different walks of life are thrown in your face every day. You know, when you're confronted with that, it's it's difficult to to maintain that hate. And so that made a lot of sense. And the way I wanted to manifest that in visuals was you, your, your dad, and then Handon, the bad guy under the whale, he's, he guts the guy's throat. Originally, I was going to get him to do it with a knife. And I was like, no, have him like rake the whale with his hands. God, it was so you know? visceral. Like, and then yeah, I, I was like, and then it was like Tarantino-esque. It really Just drenched was. in blood, like visceral. And then it was dark, there was fire. And then I thought, okay, I have these two guys, these opposing forces staring at each other, covered in blood. And I was like, now that is the image of the future basically or a potential future in this world yeah. right right if things go wrong or maybe in some instances go right so that was why i wanted to evoke and then i just wanted to evoke that like look this religion and everything is like so real to everyone that this doesn't seem out of the ordinary to them but even by like your guys standards who would have done sacrifices you may have done human sacrifices in the past right but that they would be like willing subjects normally yeah. and and in the in the religion like you're not and in these sacrifices in in their belief you're not killing this animal you're literally just sending it directly to the gods to aid them Mm. that's what the sacrifice is so right now the gods are feasting on that whale in serenity you know that's what you've done for them anyone you've sacrificed for them the the man who was sacrificed there as well he is shepherding that whale Mm. there to make sure it gets there Mm. so that's like how they believe like they they think about the physical manifestation sometimes for instance, when like a great earl or something would die, one of his top retinue would sacrifice himself so they can protect him in the afterlife and make sure he gets to serenity. Yeah. So that's their, that's their viewpoint on a lot of this stuff. But even by that standard, this was still weird. What I would say so- is that it felt very extremist for us. Yeah, and for sure. Th- I think what you've done really well is you've taken a character that, whose name we've heard. Like we've heard about Handon a lot. But we don't mm-hmm. know who he is. No, and you've only heard about him from someone who's, who's very him. predisposed to be against yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. And so we're going in thinking, okay, we're finally going to find out whether this guy is actually what we believe he is to be. Maybe he's worse. Maybe he's better. Like, we'll go in with no expectations. We'll just find out. And then we got there and it's like, oh, oh, fuck, he's worse. He's, he's like 20 times worse. <laughs> um, and so you've you've very quickly established like what the hierarchy is here and what what the you know we're we're already the, the new the new party members being confronted by the old and they're basically saying do you do you follow this guy you know because they're still trying to find out who we are and what 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 we're all about and we we're, we're saying let's not talk about it here 
Um, mm. We've never been here before, but now that we've seen it with our own eyes, let's let's just pretend everything's fine, and we'll talk about it later. I almost wanted to evoke that feeling, almost like Game of Thrones season one feeling of like, you know, when Ned Stark's in King's Landing and he brings a, a large retinue yeah. with him, and he and he always feels like he's in a, a, a degree of danger, right? Yeah. In like he's in the Viper's nest. And that's what I wanted you guys to feel Absolutely. like. Absolutely, you nailed that. You're you're like respected guests, but you're in a place of complete discomfort. You 100% got that down because every five minutes I was like, where's dad? Can I see him? Has he been taken away to be assassinated yet? Where is he? Like, it, I definitely got that vibe. Yeah, and I I wanted to demonstrate the the degree of respect that your dad has though, like especially from his retinue mm. and he's brought, he's brought like 50 men with him or whatever uh, in the, how like they're always around him. They're always protecting him. I, I really liked that image of when at the end of sort of end of the session, there was a, an attack. Not, it wasn't really a combat encounter as such, although it could have been, but it was like the aftermath of an attack, right? And everyone ran out to investigate and then straight away, like, his retinue performed like this large Made shield, shield wall, like, yeah. completely encompassing him. Mm. Uh, it was so because, cool. Because they respect him. You it know? was so cool being able to walk up to that shield wall and just watching them part for me to go in and join him. Yeah, ex- exactly. And that demonstrates the trust yeah. they have for, for the brothers because as well. That's because that's taken us as, uh, bear in mind, we're level eight or seven, I think. So, and these are, seven, yeah, and these are new characters for James and I. So to come in and feel like we are already established and known because we are at that level. You don't want to come in at level eight and feel like you're a level one character and no one knows you. And I think that's, you've really pulled off making us feel established in the world. And like with the fact that we're, we're, we're brothers, but we're also very different. So like my character already has been given his surname for, for being, for, for, you know, being known and being, having achieved something. Um, whereas my brother hasn't, but then you can see the difference in the relationship between us and our father, which is nothing James, James and I have never spoken about how we would be with, with our NPC dad, but they've got a very, um, proper and formal relationship where a father is very much like, you know, you're a cleric, you should go and speak to the priest. You should do this. This is, this is the proper way that you should be acting. Whereas my character is like, okay let's go and see dad on the podium and when he gets up there he puts his hand on his shoulder and there's like a there's a there's a moment of of physical affection you know um yeah. and and it's really as as a player and as someone who's put time and thought into my character and watching all of these differences it's just it's been very satisfying i mean i didn't i didn't even really ask like okay who's the older one out of you two or whatever or anything like that or who's like the sort of first in line mm-hmm. but it naturally kind of felt like James was sort of filling more into that character just because of who the character he was playing, right? Yeah. And it made so much sense to me because it's like, well, yeah, the dad can't afford to be that degree of affectionate or that um, that easygoing on James's character because he has to groom him to be prepared mm. to lead in the future. Whereas he has perhaps a much more intimate relationship with your character, right? Because there's like less pressure there on him. Yeah, my character as, as a father, much more of a free soul as well in this. And, and that's kind the thing. He and he accept he accepts that he's not going to change you, mm. right? So he might as well just get on board with with who you are, and he's quite happy with who who you are, right? And because yeah, because even though I'm I think different, he, I've he, still established myself in this world as someone who's important. Exactly, and he's just pleased that the two brothers 
look after each other, right? That's what's most important to him. Uh, and he's glad that he, you guys, he's glad, especially James, is not completely indoctrinated by the religion as such and that he's able to see things how his dad does from a more, like, progressive lens. Yeah. Um, and, like, <laughs> progressive in this world is mm-hmm. like, hmm, slavery bad some of the time, you know, <laughs> as opposed to slavery fine. Yeah. Like, it's progressive in a loose sense, but yeah. still somewhat. And uh, so I was really pleased. And I'm also quite pleased, I mean, I'd have to talk to uh, to Wes and Erton about it because their characters are not from this land, right? Mm. And even though people are quite standoffish with them because obviously they're outsiders, they're, Handon is pushing this like isolation, although he haven't really gotten into it too much. He's pushing this like isolationist ideology, right? Mm. And uh, even though this place is sort of known as like a real hodgepodge, a, a, a melting pot of different races and cultures and stuff, um, the, the the people sort of see those two characters with an air of suspicion. But as soon as they prove themselves right, or as soon as they're deemed useful, or or non-threatening in that way, people open up, you know? Um, especially like like the the, the uh, mercenaries you saw on the road getting here um, ages ago. They, No one seemed... I almost wanted it, even though it's such this alien land and it's so strange, I almost wanted them to be more open to um, Wesley's and Erton's characters than they are in their, like homeland you know yeah because because in your homeland you're like they're like wanted criminals right with with no trust for anyone and no one's ever really I've, no i don't think any a single person has ever been nice to those characters no. <laughs> you know no. in the whole campaign uh just because of the setup right and i feel like they've almost had more initial kindness in the first five minutes of being here than they have had anywhere else right like even though they're dressed as outsiders they're different people no one stopped them going for to the religious ceremony right and no one's stopping them getting involved or witnessing it there's no like gatekeeping Mm. um so i'll be interested to see how that plays out and how they feel about that and right now where's this character ara just wants the hell out of there yeah she's she's ready to leave i mean we could be getting a new character in the party pretty soon and she's looking for that you know plane ticket that teleportation circle home uh and then it's interesting, uh, Erton's character, Gazaroff, he's in it just to find someone, mm. right? It was just a very transactionary deal of, I'm looking for someone. Um, I mean, little does he know that maybe his warlock patron might have other plans for him. I mean, big surprise. May want him, may want him to do some things going forward. Mm. But, uh, I mean, that's the beauty of having warlocks in your party. You can just you can do whatever you want with them. Things in. Yeah. And I was so pleased. Like, the last thing I'll talk about is I was so happy that... Um, and I didn't really plan this. It sort of happened spontaneously. Um, is we had a big, a big bard scene. Oh, we did, and, yeah. And it was so perfect because I love the fact that Ben's character is a bard and he's like always asking me for lore and things he can espouse. Because it's like, by the way, oh God, I do need more. I can just, I can just, I can just literally read them my notes, and it's like. It's diegetic. It's in the game world. Yeah. You know, it's like as a DM, the thing I should never do is just monologue about my night. I can just do it now. <laughs> and it comes through Ben's Ben's voice. Yeah, I do need you to send me some more of those uh, those stories as well of the gods and things. I need you to write me some more uh, so that I can do it in a more um, 
in character way but i i love i love that stuff it's so much fun to feel like you're a part of the world and to to, to know stuff that the other players don't know and that, that was that was one of my favorite visuals i didn't really plan for is like basically what happened is that there was a bard in this bar um scene on my territory and, and yeah ben wanted to uh you know Put him in his place dominance yeah. you know bard v bard uh you know how these uh creative types are mm-hmm. and uh but it turns out that bard wasn't actually very adversarial at all and he was happy to uh help in your performance mm. but he sort of threw a spanner in the works and 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 offered to do a song about a certain story uh but luckily you knew that story very well mm. because when you said that i was like okay well, I was like, what is he singing about and i was like oh let me jump to some lore i want to get out there <laughs> so i uh, hopped over to the notes and grabbed a, a nice story about a king and a, a classic dragon fight mm-hmm. you know uh very thematic and then we start performing then you had backup dancers ben you had support I had support from the know? party and then the wizard was doing major image and there was prestidigitation and there was like this whole, basically the entire audience was quite literally transported into the story. Mm. And uh, it was just, it was awesome. Mate, yeah. there's, there's got, a reason we, I have my last name, okay? <laughs> it, it was really, really good. And the two bards were just popping off, telling this story of this epic um, king who went up the mountain uh, not far from Burdestein to fight a dragon, and it was all very heroic and whatnot. And it was such a nice, diegetic, in-universe way to just give a bit of lore that doesn't really have relevance to anything going on right now, but it's just world-building. And it wasn't just me, you know, saying like, hey, do you want to know this? Mm. And just telling you about it. I just gave you like the briefest of notes, and then you'd sort of, expanded on it in your own way uh, and that was a really really cool scene i, I like that it was a lot of fun um, it was a lot of fun today i like that but now like i say is i, I don't know what you guys are going to do i was looking at my notes and i was like okay what do i need to pull in for the next session and i was like everything yeah yeah everything is available welcome to my to world them, for Estroff. just prepare everything that you have otherwise you won't be ready yeah yeah it, it is tricky i mean i would say to people who are I'd say definitely do it because it's a really fun way to play the game. Like a really fun way. I mean, up until this point, things have been very directed. I've tried to do it in a way where it feels very open, right? Mm. But just because of the physicality of the world, where the players were, etc. And obviously at lower levels, you have less options. Um, the game was more narrow, right? I could, I could more easily direct it without revealing the railroads as such. Mm. But now, like... There just are no railroads. There really aren't any. <laughs> We're off the tracks. And, and what's interesting is every time you do something, you pick one option, there's 50 other options that you've now missed mm-hmm. and have, they've moved on, mm-hmm. right? And so the whole world is evolving and it'll just be interesting to see to see what the players do because I have ideas of where a lot of the big these big characters are going to end up, you know, if, if they are not interfered mm-hmm. with. And so it'll be interesting to see which ones because like i say it's like a choice you can't do it all you know you can't have just like like skyrim 400 quests in the quest log and you're just ticking them off one at a time uh like it's it's very much like dragon heist you know as you pick one thing you're going to do that day um something happens that you've not seen yeah time moves on and so that's that's quite exciting almost as a dm it's very painful 
because it's like I really wanted you to see it, that or do that, and now you can't. Well, it, well, it's like okay, we had a good session, and then like in the planning phase, I'm going to go and have forty more sessions <laughs> just with myself yeah. as I as I play D and D of myself and figure out what all this stuff happened. I'm like, wow, that was a that was a great encounter that happened in my own. <laughs> just for me (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i get it but i think i think you're doing it very well and i'm i'm so i mean we've got another session of your game tomorrow so i'm i'm looking forward to that um and seeing where this goes and what we do um joe we're uh we're coming up to 100 episodes mate my goodness yeah we are we're getting there and uh, over the past few months we've been lovingly supported and made a lot of uh, close friends with the guys at dice dungeon uk and um well we were chatting to them well, a couple of weeks ago about 100, 100 episodes and and what we might do and they have well they've hinted that maybe they might uh, they might want to celebrate with us um mm. so if you don't know dice dungeon is a uk based company where you can get yourself some really nice metal and now resin dice shipped from the uk if you spend over 30 pounds you get free shipping and if you use the code we speak on on checkout you get 10 percent off your order as well which is always nice and they've said that we should expect a message oh mm. so i don't i don't mm. know what's going on um but i'm i mean well this is episode well this is 96 so i'm guessing it'll come pretty soon so keep keep your ears open and be ready for it. Um, we'll see what happens. Interesting, interesting. A multi episode. Oh, I know. Oh my goodness. God. I don't know what's going on. Man. I don't know what's got into <laughs> us. But uh, yeah. So check out their website. Have a little have a little look around. See if there's anything on there that you that you fancy. And keep your ears on the podcast. Something something's coming. We'll find out together. I suppose. Um, hmm. should we should we talk about something a little bit different? I mean, we can. We have just gone for like fifty minutes, mate, mate. So, I is this a is this a topic we can? Uh, well, there's two. Cram. I think we should do one here now that we can cram because it's quite a small one, and then okay. tease the second topic for next week. Uh. I know. See now, I know why they pay you the big bucks. Well, not for much longer, but. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, black humour is how I cope. Um, okay, Joshua's been on. He dropped us an email last week, and I had a nice little chat with him. Um, if you want to email us, we speak common at hotmail dot com. And uh, I, I was already uh, keen to read his email because the subject is ideas from a bad DM, which I thought was very on brand for our podcast. To be honest, um, <laughs> makes sense. So there's a couple of things he wanted to talk about. A couple of ideas. He said I wanted your opinions on some things, and also had an idea for some topics if you were interested. Always. Absolutely, yes, always interested. The one that I want to talk about is floating AC and whether you think it's a good idea. And then the one that I want us to delve into next week is an idea that he has brought up in his... Oh, just hit my microphone, sorry. Brought up in his email and I, I replied and said, well, did you know that there's a rule variant for that in the DMG? And I thought we could look at it and get some thoughts and opinions going on it. So we'll do that one next week. And that one's spell points and, and how to use them. Um, but floating AC, Joe, so for those of you that don't know, uh, is basically the idea that you don't have an AC that's just a base of 10 and then you get your decks and your, um, your armor or your shields or whatever. The idea is that you have a die that you roll and then you add your dex modifier and that's your AC for that turn in combat. So um, you'd roll a d20, you add your AC bonus, which would be 
it's just dex isn't it really plus then whatever armor you're wearing so maybe you've got a plus two shield or something so that would be part of your ac bonus as well and then for that round that's your ac and each turn each time you take a turn you you roll a new ac or something like that um now my instant reaction to that idea was uh, i suppose it could work but have you thought about looking at some of the other options that might make your like it feels like you're looking for a different combat experience so my instant reaction was have you looked at the greyhawk initiative um and if you wanted to use a floating AC, either implement it from the very beginning or only use it for special occasions like one-on-one fights, for example. Um, I do, I'm just thinking, like, thinking about this system, what is the benefit of it mm. other than randomness? Yeah, so that's, that's the other thing. So what has Josh put here? First things I'd like your opinion on, floating, like, blah, blah, blah. Um, so he's saying that the idea is that it takes out the it adds tension. So it takes out the whole thing of just knowing that you need a seventeen to hit, or if you roll a die and you get really low, oh, I know I've missed. So it adds that kind of like opportunity to every single roll. Every roll is important, which I kind of get. I I can see why it would add that. He also did say that um, uh, he mentions the 3.5 DM's guild, uh, DM's guide having something about floating AC in it, but I don't know because I haven't read it. Um, See, for me, I I don't feel like this brings anything to the table for me personally because you say it could add tension, but I think whilst there are degrees of randomness in the game, right, and that those can be fun. Uh, those, the more randomness you have in the game for me, the more agency it removes from the player. And what I mean by that, right, mm-hmm. is if I build a build that's specifically good at something, i.e. maybe they're really accurate, they, they're really good at hitting things and, and never missing. Maybe their damage isn't as high, but they're very good. I'm a longbow archer and I battle master and I always use my my die for like precision strike or whatever get that extra die to hit and i i'm I'm always about hitting right um trying to play like a legless or whatever um to me it just doesn't feel good then that i could roll high but then just because the creature has rolled even higher on their ac yet i still miss yeah but then but then the next turn i could roll low but then hit I'm like it's all, I'm like what's the point yeah, I get of what you're my saying. build? So the way he then. the way he writes it is that you know you could have massively failed your big spell or your attack with a roll of seven, but fortunately the mind flare that you're fighting is not infallible to stumbles and or, or misjudges or mistakes and you know trips and rolls a two on his AC. Like I get I get the idea. I can see why it looks um what's the word uh why it looks appealing because it feels like on the surface it could add something but but so i, I see where I you're like i see that. where you're coming from i don't like that because if i'm a dm i don't want my mind flayers to trip and have a 2ac i want if it's a mind flayer <laughs> you want them to he's going to be, be scary, scary throughout yeah, right yeah, yeah. like okay yeah maybe it's interesting for goblin does that but then a goblin has a low ac to begin with mm. so that that's sort of built in to the number there it's and, and the same with my pcs like you know, 
you never see Achilles trip and fall and 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 fumble his attack, right? Mm. Uh, because he's Achilles and he's built not to do that. And so, uh, I don't want that to then happen to another character. Like to me, that's why I quite like that they got rid of crit fails. Yeah. in in D in D and D because. Yeah, they can be funny, and like in a one shot, yeah, it's fine. Like you know, you 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 pull your bow and you roll a one, and you 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 roll three ones in a row, and your bow just snaps in half, right? And like that that that's great. I'm like, okay, that's hilarious. But also, I'm supposed to be good with the bow, so <laughs> can that not happen? And I like that. There's a degree of randomness, but they've sort of they've honed it in a bit, right? Mm. They've they've they've, they've They've crammed it in, and look, like I love like second edition and whatnot, where it's just like randomness, you know, galore. But I think we have moved on from that in a bit of a sense, and I think that some things in the game need to not be random. There need to be touchstones, anchor points for which the rest of the game is built on. And for me, AC is one of those, right? So I don't want you to be able to roll a two and hit my dragon. Yeah. I don't want that. I don't want that to happen. Okay. I want you to have to roll high to hit my dragon, and, and and vice versa, and everything. Right. Just how I don't want my when my players when I'm doing like one of these like um sort of power gaming encounters where I have my level ten party fight a bunch of goblins because I know it'll be really easy, but it'll just be kind of fun, yeah. right? I don't want my then level ten super barbarian to roll uh, 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 an 18 and miss the goblin yeah. you know like <laughs> that that sort of feeds the yeah. purpose of that encounter there so i i i can see how it could add a, a certain degree of randomness and an a, an unpredictability but i think it gives the roles less meaning like i don't want the players i want the players to know that if they roll low they're probably going to fail and if they roll high they're probably going to succeed mm-hmm. right because it just takes meaning out of all of the the numbers at that point, I think. Mm. Um, and, and I think you need some of those cornerstones from which to build everything else out. I think of, but... you've hit a lot of the points that I was going to make. And I think, I think we're just on the same wavelength here. But um, I think if it's something you're really keen on putting into your game, the there's a place for it. And it's the same way I would use that Greyhawk initiative or or any change to to the established initiative system and that would be special occasions like one-on-one duels or you know tournaments or like a mini game like you know if your party has gone to a combat arena in there or they're fighting on a stage at the at the um sea maidens fair festival in Waterdeep, you know if they're on a on a little boxing ring then maybe introduce some different kind of rule there because that could be a fun little departure from the usual rules to make that that special occasion feel special but there is a reason that the game is built the way it's built, and I think it's great that we homebrew and we add stuff. But sometimes there there are some core things that I think should stay the same. I don't know. I can. You, do, you, do you see where I'm coming from? Like, there's a place for it, but also majority of me thinks don't. don't yeah, no. Do I think it. I think we're in we're in agreement here on on this one. I did see something not really directly related to this, but I thought I'd bring up. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. I think it was a po- it was a post on Reddit or something. Um, just about how this certain DM describes hits and misses, uh, and he does it based on uh, the AC of the creature and what the person rolled. Rolled so basically, he he de- determines anything under a ten because everyone has like a base AC of ten, yeah. right? 
uh, is, is a miss. I you didn't your your sword was like short of the target. They didn't necessarily dodge it, but you there were short, no contact, or your arrow, yeah. or, or your arrow just flew over top. Like it was just an inaccurate shot. Um, and then they do anything um, between. Oh, I can't remember what it was. It was like anything within like the dex modifier range, right? Yeah. Um, is they dodged it, right? Uh-huh. So uh, let's say you're up against a rogue that's got like a, a, a 16 um, deck. So anything from like 10 to 13 is they actually dodged that. And then anything higher than that, but was still within their AC is you actually hit them, but the armor d- uh, stops them from taking damage. Mm. And I think that's just a, a fun way to describe things. I think the way I always like- try and remember it is that, that I have to remind myself that the word miss is misused when you're rolling to hit. Because when yep. you, if you don't hit the AC, yeah, technically in the in the rules you've missed, but you're not missing. It just means that their armor has stopped you, or you haven't dealt enough damage to break through that that chainmail. Do you know what I mean? I agree, especially when it comes to big monsters, because otherwise it, you're just missing. It doesn't make, it make a lot of yeah. sense? Like yeah, like okay, I jump on the dragon's back and, and I stab I st- it. Stab. Stab my sword into its spine, and you're like, okay, well, I missed. Well, so, well, no, you didn't miss, but you just didn't pierce the scale. Well, like, your, your blade went in, and some blood was drawn, but the dragon seemed to not notice it. Like, I always like to, yeah, I, exactly. I like to describe when my, like, when my players are like, ah, oh, my AC's twenty, and you only rolled a nineteen. Well, I was like, okay, well, the sword comes down, and and it and it bashes into your shoulder, but you you just sort of shake it off, or you know, and then I'll I'll describe the same for my my. NPCs and my monsters, I and mean, a player shoots an arrow. So, okay, well, the arrow goes wide and it it knocks into the the person's sword or something, you know, or their shield. And and it depends as well on how the AC is made. I especially love doing this for player characters. Like if you've got a barbarian, right? Their defense, if they're using um like an unarmored defense or whatever, is going to be dexterity plus their constitution, just their literal hardiness. So I love the idea that you do kind of like a Carl Drogo and you just slash this barbarian in the chest, but they just don't care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if they just seem completely unfazed by it. Or or if you've got a blade singer who's got like a, a 30 AC or whatever, like most blade singers <laughs> do for some reason, um, you just can't hit them. And when you think you've hit them, you've hit a shield. And when you think you've got past the shield, you've hit their sword. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just an endless... Or like um, if you take Orlo, your character, who's basically... Um, not like the most spry spry guy in the world like he's got a really good dex and everything mm. but like a lot of his protection is from magic items and stuff like that i like the idea that he just sort of stands there yeah. you know and then but you just can't get through all these shields and things and magical protections that's that's what's pretty fun like a sort of saruman-esque approach to things yeah so um yeah not directly related to what you're talking about but i just thought it no, was it's a, a, it's a fun good, idea to bring yeah, up a good point to make and um i think one that you should always remember you should never just describe it as a miss because it becomes unsatisfying as well okay cool well look um we'll leave it there because we've got like 10 minutes before we play our D game so we need to go and get ready but uh if you want to get in touch with us you can we are at we speak common on twitter we're we speak common at hotmail.com for email and if you see us on reddit it's usually me you can also get in contact with us through our website if you've been trying to use it over the past couple of days um there have been a couple of problems with it um my tech guys just transferred it over to a, a new server host so it's all up and running again now so you can contact us through there too and if you want to um do some homework and do some reading before next week's episode uh, page 288 of the dmg for spell point variant rules that's what we're going to talk about next week um 
You're giving them home. I know, mate. Them. I know. I was, <laughs> mate. Nearly hundred episodes. We're nearly two years in at this point. Like we've got, got to step up the game now. Come on, <laughs> the academy of We Speak Common. Okay. Um. Cool, Joe. Thank you very much, and I'll see you in Waterdeep in about nine minutes. Potentially. Thanks for listening today. If you like the podcast, do us a favour. Leave us a like or review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at WeSpeakCommon or through the email WeSpeakCommon at Hotmail.com. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82 and is licensed under an attribution license CC by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive. Hello and welcome to another episode of We Speak Common, the, oh god no, common, come in, come in, do that again, fuck, just leave that in, it'll be fine.